With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Hello and welcome to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Great to have your company. I'm your host, Max Hadzoglu, and today we've got a massive show coming up. we got Anna Pavlou, sports writer uh, for various different places, including uh, St Kilda Football Club, uh, also involved at the Footy Almanac. She's going to come on to preview the AFL season in the men's coming up and also talk a little bit about the AFLW season, which has been happening. We'll have Charlie Gill also joining us there to talk and provide some comments on the AFL season and also the AFLW. So we're looking forward to that. Followed by that, we're going to get nutrition coach and personal trainer Connor Kennedy coming on to talk a little bit about nutrition. So an interesting topic uh, that in, that's involved in all our lives. Uh, so that's that will be interesting to hear. Uh, then followed by that, we've got Patrick Morrow coming on, who's going to talk a little bit about the cricket and also tennis uh, and a few other sports that are happening in the world right now. So we look forward to that and I hope you enjoy the show. Now it's time to introduce our next guest, a special guest onto the Sports Hour. It's uh, sports writer Anna Pavlou. How you going, Anna? Good, Max. How are you? Good, thank you. And uh, it's great to get you on the show. I've been seeing some of the work you've been doing um, in the media. Uh, it's been awesome. So it's, it's a pleasure to have you on finally. Uh, so thanks for joining us. No, looking forward to it. And we've also got Charlie Gill uh, here today as well, just to um, Anna's coming on to talk a little bit about the AFL season. And uh, we thought it'd be great to get Charlie on just to provide some of his insights. So uh, thanks for joining us, Charlie. How are you going? Always happy to be here. Thanks, Maxim. Awesome. Uh, we'll kick it off, Anna, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about the AFLW season, uh, which has been happening uh, over the last few months. Uh, what's been your take on the season so far uh, and, and some of the highlights that have come from it? Well, it's been a pretty interesting season. I've been following the AFLW now since the beginning and really have been getting involved, which I'm very lucky to be doing. And um, Personally, I really did think North Melbourne were the team to beat at the start of the season, but Collingwood have just absolutely dominated the um, majority of the season now, haven't lost a game, and have really figured, I guess you could say, they've found quite a good balance in their team. And I think a lot of teams in that top four bracket, Frio, Brisbane as well, who I really do rate, have found quite a good balance now that the AFLW is producing pure footballers now that kind of the competition, the commercialization has died down and it is now we're getting footballers who are coming up from playing all the way through their juniors and actually, you know, full blood footballers, you know, Um, Chloe Malloy is just an absolute gun, just as just an example, but there are a lot of players like her who just have really been taking the AFLW to that next level that I think we've all been waiting for. Yeah, absolutely. And um, Collingwood's, had a pretty good season um, and like they've won six straight out of the six games they've played. Do you see anyone beating them? Uh, they play Brisbane this, this weekend. Um, but is there any, do you think that someone can uh, sort of beat them uh, in, in the finals or are Collingwood a comfortable favorite for the premiership? I think they're a, a comfortable favorite as you said, but um, I think playing Brisbane, I tipped Brisbane early on to be 
a contender. I think that their structure as a team is pretty unbeaten. Obviously, let's see how they match up this weekend. But um, they've got quite a pure football structure. They play quite a flow kind of game that we haven't really seen a lot of teams be able to master over the few years of the AFLW. So I think it'll be a Collingwood-Brisbane grand final. But again, if Collingwood are on this path, I don't really see much stopping them now. Yeah, and where do you think that where do you think the grand final should be played? Because I've seen a bit of um, conjecture surrounding like which venue it's going to be at. Because some people think it should be at the MCG, like the men's, and others think that the AFLW should sort of forge its own sort of identity by continuing to have the um, grand final played at whoever finishes higher on the ladder. So, what do you think about that? Hmm, well, I am. I just love the tradition of footy, and I. I think that it should be played at the MCG because, I mean, I think we're all Melbourneians. So, you know, that just like how special it feels to be at a grand final, to be at a sporting event in that regard at the MCG, I think that will take the AFLW to another level because they have played a couple, you know, they've sold out every other ground, they've played a grand final. Yeah. But, um, taking it to the MCG kind of etches them into history as a serious competition, I think. Mm. Yeah, that's a it's a good perspective you come from there, especially the MCG. Obviously, it's a large capacity at a hundred thousand um, people that you could fit in there. Um, so it would be quite a unbelievable event. Oh well, obviously this year, unfortunately, probably won't be able to fill the stadium to its uh, maximum capacity. Um, but it'll be interesting to see uh, where that ends up being played on April seventeen. Um, with the season, Anna, is there anything that uh, – oh, no, there was a question I wanted to ask you. Um, sorry, I just popped up in my mind and I remembered. And that's about uh, the standard of of sort of uh, the, the level of and the standard of AFLW over the years. It seems to me that it's really improved from when it started to now. And now, I'm like, you notice just some remarkable plays that, that are even better than the men at times. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really starting to improve. And, and obviously that's come with, with the, the growth of the game. Um, but are you noticing the same thing as well? Oh, 100%. Um, I've been doing a bit of work with St Kilda Footy Club. And at the moment, obviously the focus is on the AFLW and yeah. just seeing the behind the scenes. I've been there now for two years. So behind the scenes, how they've picked up, um, they've, you know, they've, obviously there's more money in the AFLW game now. So they are able to afford more technical coaches, you know, better facilities. They're professionalising the game more, which, you know, that behind the scenes stuff, as well as a lot of the clubs, like, will have their junior programs that feed into their club, you know. Um, yeah. St Kilda's got Sandy and all that. So they, that, all that behind the scenes stuff, as I said, is really now showing on field. And I... At, obviously, I'm not going to lie, it was, it was difficult at the start to watch it because there was, you know, years ago, it was a lot of stop-start and, you know, they wanted to bring those bigger sports stars into the game just to get it up and running and commercialised and get more people on board. But watching someone like, you know, Georgia Petrichios, who plays St Kilda, she is just a pure footballer who has grown up with the game and that, you know, that's where you go, yeah, that's absolutely the football that we expect now at this level. And that's, I think that's due to all the programs behind the scenes for sure. That's uh... I was, um, 
I've got. Oh, am I all, all good to go, Max? Yes, go for it, Charlie. Okay, I've just got a question. I was speaking to um the uh the coach of the Fitzroy uh, football club's women's team the other day, and I was asking her about um uh like implementing the sort of rule changes that we've got in the men's game uh, into the women's game, um, mm-hmm. referring specifically to the man on the mark rule and having to stand still. And she said that she thinks for now that would probably be to the detriment of the women's game because um, it's not sort of quite at that level yet where it would be necessary. Um, so my question is, do you think that in terms of like, you know, when you were talking about the, uh, you know, AFLW playing their grand final on the MCG, that is sort of like sort of legitimizes it. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that sort of in going into the future um, for the AFLW to, to sort of be seen as legitimate as the sort of men's comp, um, it would have to have the exact same rules as the men's comp or if <clears throat> the AFLW could have a few separate rules? Well, I, I think that the men's rules are already difficult enough for the men from what I hear and see and watch every day now. So I think Correct. <laughs> um, 100%. We can talk about that later because I've got strong opinions on that. But um, yeah. I think there's always going to be a difference between men, men and women's football. I personally don't play football, so, uh, but I do obviously watch both games. And I just think by adding those rules in, it already, it, um, sorry, they're all, they're, it's already quite a technical game to learn. And as I said, there's still, there's, the game isn't still or hasn't got all pure footballers yet. There are still cross-coders and there are people that they're still bringing in to commercialise the game. So, it just, I just don't think it's worth it because we're already seeing such class and over the years I can honestly say I really now enjoy watching the talent of women's football that wasn't there four or five years ago. So I just don't think, I mean, men, can, men obviously have been playing for 100, 160 years now, so they, they have adapted. They can adapt better than women, but I think it'll just jeopardise the game more if they're going to put all these technicalities when it already is quite a technical game in the 21st century. So I just don't think it's really worth it. Yeah, that's, I, I, I agree with that. I think um, especially yeah, with like the women's game only in its early, early part of its, um, of its journey, like it should sort of, the rules should rest for a bit there and, and the game should be just played. So you get a bit of a sample size of all the trends and get, get a bit of data. And then after a good portion of it, you can go from there. Um, but I wanted to move on and uh, ask you, Anna, a little bit about uh, last week, Charlie and I, we went through our uh, AFL season preview for the men's competition. And uh, we went through our riser, slider and premier, and also a surprise. Uh, we were you interested to know, um, have you got uh, a riser and a slider and a premier for this year? Um, I do. Yeah, we'll <laughs> kick it off with this uh, riser. Uh, who, riser, sure. I've got Carlton. Um, I do um, love Carlton. They are my second team, but I do think that they um, may have a chance to actually come come up this season. They what were they seven and ten last last season? But there were quite a few games <laughs> in that middle area where they were lost by less than twenty points. They had just won a few games, so that talent and that raw ability was shown. Um, obviously, excellent recruiting of um, Adam Sarden, Zach Williams, huge pickups for them, which will really change the dynamic and I think take a lot of that pressure off um, 
Paddy Cripps's shoulders because as much as they are an emerging side, a lot of that um, pressure through the whole the last few years really has been on his shoulders. And so I think that they will be a really handy addition. Um, mm. interest, interested to see how Harry Mackay goes. Kicked, I think, 21 goals last year. So he's um, he does attract a lot of that football, but I guess it really depends on... You know, there are some fantastic defenders in the competition, but I do think this could be a breakout season for him again to really take his game to the next level if he has that support from their kind of new and improved midfield group, I think. And, of course, can't forget about Sam Walsh. He is mm-hmm. absolutely an elite player. What is he, I mean, third, third or fourth season now? He's just, third, I think, yeah. Yeah, he's just... The way that he ha- came into the game, obviously, Carlton haven't had a lot of success, but he came in and he just fit into football. So just adapted so quickly. He just, sorry, plays like a seasoned veteran. And he's just, I think he's only played less than 50 games anyway, but he's just got that quality. And if Cripps can remain injury free um, alongside him, add a couple Saad Williams across the um, field, I just think, they'll actually be a force to be reckoned with in um, 2021. And, of course, they've got Jones and Weedering down back. I really do rate Weedering. I wish they didn't waste a few years of his career trying to find a spot for him. He's just a pure defender. He's always yeah. – he, I think he always has deserved a spot there. So, you know, he's locked that position in finally. So I think he will be key to – a bit of a better defensive game. I think they were, you know, they were losing games, as I said, by, you know, less than 20 points. Um, so I think if they can kind of lock up that defence, um, yeah. I think they can really tighten their game. Absolutely. And uh, I know sitting here right now that Charlie Gill's mind will be ticking quite fast as he's a passionate Carlton supporter. Um <laughs> And I, I actually had the same riser as you, Anna, last week. So great start. Um, my one area of concern, I'm just looking at their list and their lineup, mm-hmm. and it's their ruck. Um, they've only got Pitt in it, um, and he's a very young young ruck. So I, that just popped up to mind, and oh, he needs mm-hmm. to – they're sort of relying on him a bit. Well, uh, we've also got Tom DeConning, who's injured right now, and Tom DeConning's even Another youngster. Now, I think. Yeah, and he's going to be—he's going to get better and better. He was already showing last yeah. year, sort of what he was capable of. So he's injured at the moment, and that's another concern for us is our injury list. Yeah. Um, it's so annoying, but um, yeah. But you are right; we do have questions around yeah. around our ruck spot. That's uh, that, but that's yeah, definitely yeah. capable, and uh, Tom DeConning's exciting. But yeah, go on. Absolutely. I think the modern the modern football successful football side. You look at sides like. Um, West Coast of 2018, um, Richmond Collingwood of, you know, just the past few years that that success really does spawn from having a seasoned or a veteran or just a really strong Ruckman. So I think if Carlton can, I'm not, I'm not writing them off for any, or any, anyway, I do think they will climb the ladder this year. Um, but if they can blood a few of their young guys, as you said, decoding all those in the middle, in a couple of years' time, they will be an absolute genuine premiership threat. And I stand by that. You can come absolutely. back to me in a few years. <laughs> yeah. I hope well, you're we'll right. Be, we'll be uh, keeping a closer eye on your predictions as the season goes on, Anna. And, uh, yeah, so we'll get to your slider now. Who do you think's going to uh, slide down the ladder this year? 
I think Charlie will like this one too. I've said Collingwood. Oh, so. yes. <laughs> oh I hope you're wrong. <laughs> I know. Why so, is that? So. Look, they finished eighth last year, had a fantastic first week of the finals, and then obviously were beaten comprehensively by Geelong in the second week. But it's really, and I hate to be so harsh, but they really did have a terrible summer. They had one of the worst draft periods that the club has had in a long time. And I do believe Collingwood, will they prove it on and off the field that they are a very strong side. They have a lot of support and everything, but the stuff that did happen off field, really, that's the big question mark. And that's why I do think that there'll be a slider because let's see how all of the off field um, issues reflect in their playing group. Will they disperse? Will they unite? That's really, that's kind of my biggest question mark. Obviously the loss of Trelaw, that key goal-kicking midfielder, I think, unfortunately, that will be felt. And then, of course, Tom Phillips, who really didn't get much of a chance at the start, has um, so far at Hawthorne really dominated his first game. I think he had 35, 34 touches or something. So, Mm. I mean, you know, sometimes that just happens with players. But that, obviously, may be a bit of a loss felt. And um, Jane Stevenson, um, I think he – well, I know he definitely fell away after his absolutely outstanding first year, Rising Star was really blooded to be the next Collingwood great. But unfortunately, um, that has the ties have been cut there. But he did add that depth, which I think, again, will be missed. And um, I think those, as I said, those culture problems, they may impact the group. I do think um, Pendlebury is a fantastic leader. He has been a fantastic leader for his whole tenure at the club. Um, um, but I think it's going to be a new challenge because there has been so much scrutiny for now, well, a couple of months now since the the finals and all the Maguire issues and all the cultural things. So, yeah. um, but on field, I think Dugowie playing in the midfield will have to cover Trelaw, but that of course I think that'll really hurt the Pies in the for- in their forward line because Dugowie is such. Yeah. a key element both up forward but also is an absolute gun through the middle. And I think they need to see they need more from Mason Cox. I think he's just he's shown as you he's had games where you just you sit back and you go, wow, what an absolute yeah. powerhouse. He cannot be stopped. But they are far there, you know, there's far and few of those. So you want that consistency from the club. And if he steps up, I think possibly the rest of them will. But again, He's been there for a couple of years now and we haven't seen that. So I really wouldn't be surprised if that's a struggle for him again. Yeah. Yes. And I, I think um, you're spot on. I, I um, Before their preseason game last Friday night against Richmond, where Richmond got up mm. by about four points, before that, I was like, I, I was, to be honest, I was thinking of putting them as my slider, um, which is... Mm quite crazy um, because I, I follow him and um, but anyway yeah. I was just being true to myself um, but that that game surprised me and I thought wow where we actually we actually might go all right this year uh, but I think a lot of it we rely Collingwood relies on Mason Cox a lot. as you said then um, if he does well I think he'll add a he's a big difference to the team um, when he's up and firing um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely yeah. Now, I was going to mention that practice match, but yes, you've said it exactly. I do, I do think they were impressive. But again, you 
you know, they, I think they put Darcy more up forward and, you know, I just hope as much as I am a Geelong supporter and Collingwood aren't my favourite team in the world, I, I don't want to see them fail because they do, considering all of their issues over the summer and the mess-ups of the trade period, they do still have a very, very strong list. I, list. I really rate Darcy more. I think yeah. Brody Grundy will bounce back and I do think Jack Crisp is one of one of honestly one of the best defenders in the competition at the moment. So I, as much as they are my slider, I don't think if they go far, if they do drop down the ladder, I don't think they'll be down there for long. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're right. And um, Charlie Gill, um, who was your slider from last week, Charlie? Um, my slider from last week in terms of what do you mean, the reaction to yeah, the team this series? No, nah, your team. I said, all right, who I said last week. Mm. I said um, West Coast. Yeah, yeah. Well, Charlie, I know that you've got to shoot off early, unfortunately, because you've got another inter- interview to do for uh, your newspaper, which is up and coming. But you're going to be back later on in the, in the show. Um, so yeah. we'll um, say farewell. But um, thanks for joining us for your brief time that right. you could. Thanks for having thanks, me, Max. Um, and thanks for having me, Anna, as well. Cool. See ya. See ya. See ya, Charlie. Uh, now, Anna, I wanted to get to your uh, premier now. Who do you think will be the premier? Well, I'm saying this. I am a Geelong supporter, but I am saying this not in a biased way. I do think that Geelong will be the premier in 2021, and we can come back to this conversation later. But um, yeah, don't mind it. I do think <laughs> I do personally think Geelong were fantastic in the trade and the um, draft period. Um, they do have one of the best lists on paper in the competition at the moment. But, of course, a list on paper, it can only go so far. It's now up to them to really show us that they can gel as a side who has the the uh, the 2020 and the 2019 common medalists on their list now. So it will be an interesting, I guess, viewing to see how they work together because they are Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron are quite um, similar, but differing players in the sense of like, they will both take that. You, when, you know, when he was at the Giants, of course he takes the number one defender Hawkins takes the number one defender at Geelong, but together I think it might, it may be a good mix because of um, you think about it, they'll take the best two defenders and you leave Gary Rowan open by himself. who he gets your third or fourth in line. I think um, that is quite smart recruiting in the sense of we're freeing up some players who did have a bit more pressure on their shoulders last year. Gary Rowan was mm. quite inconsistent, but I think the addition of um, Jeremy Cameron, particularly and if we do decide to play Isaac Smith up forward a bit, will really relieve a lot of pressure that Rowan just could not shake last season. But yeah. absolutely, I think, again, ageing list, but obviously the loss of Harry Taylor and Gary Ablett does rejuvenate the side again. But again, um, I think that there's a quite a perfect balance between those um, really, really experienced, decorated, you know, players with quite an eager group of um, kids who are coming through the system who honestly, I think anyone who's at one of the, you know, leading sides at the moment is very lucky that even if you're not getting 22 games a season, you're getting to um, be around and play a couple of games and just get the culture of, you know, the absolute greats of the games, Dangerfields, Ablett's last year, of course. So um, I think 
you know, recruiting Higgins, Smith and Cameron was absolutely fantastic by the Wizards, Stephen Wells. But I think, again, it's going to be really interesting to see Sam Simpson, O'Connor, Radigalia, Parfit, Narkel, Constable, who have, haven't actually played as much football as the best 22 last year, but had a lot of that time in the hub to be with the elite, to train with the elite, to live yeah. like those absolute elite. They will really come into their own. And um, I think if there's, there's never been a better time for Geelong to really get through. And I think if they can shake those um, blues of the Tigers, I think, I think Tigers have won the last six out of six of the last seven we've played against them. But I think if they can really get through, if they got, obviously they got through the um, prelim voodoo last year. So one step, one step forward, they've all played in the grand final. Now they've all experienced getting to the absolute, the final dance. But I think now it's just learning how to play, not a manic style of football, which I, we know Richmond plays, which is, has been very hard to beat for the past four years, but learning how to bring that control back into their style of football, which they obviously lost against Richmond last year. But I do think there's never been a better time for Geelong to push for a flag for Chris Scott and for the whole club, really. That's a pretty strong argument. And I think you've raised a lot of really good points in that. Uh, And I fell into the trip, um, into the trap personally last year when I thought, they're an aging list and they're, they're, they're about, they're on, they're on the downhill slope. Um, but they proved me wrong big time. And it was, I just couldn't believe it. Um, how, how well they went. And, um, yeah, now I'm sort of sold that they're a very good team. And with the inclusion of Jeremy Cameron, Sean Higgins and, uh, Isaac Smith, they're just three guns, um, which I don't know how Geelong and Wales end up managed to uh, get them down, but, quite remarkable. Um, and I, I certainly agree with you. I think they're, they're a hot chance. Um, them, Port Adelaide and Richmond, I think, um, are, are a great chance. Um, so yeah, thanks for those thoughts. Uh, now to your surprise, did you have a surprise for the upcoming season? Anything that you think will, will happen that is sort of left field? <laughs> well, we talked a bit about that man on the mark rule before I think well, I hope that will that will be out of the game as soon as possible that yeah. is probably I think I in terms of a surprise I think my biggest surprise would be if that rule sticks around for more than five rounds I think it's I've yeah. listened to a lot of press conferences I've heard a lot of uh, players or and teams that are already planning and showing uh, out on field they are working around that rule that in order to keep you know they, they're moving their defenders to man, man someone else because if you're on that if you're on that 50 mark you are basically dead weight you are nothing you can't move you have zero impact so there's there's already teams working around those rules because um yes yeah, so I think I think it would be a surprise if that lasted more than five rounds of football because I am almost I can probably sit here and guarantee that that will cost games of football and I don't want to be sitting here at the mm. end of the season saying that's cost Geelong, Richmond, Port Adelaide, Brisbane, whoever a grand final, because that's not how our game should be played. We, we are one of the only games in the whole world that constantly needs, feels the need to change their rules. And the, I've always said 
growing up, the beauty of AFL is just how pure and how free-flowing the game has always been. It's obviously becomes technical over the years, but the beauty of it is that we're not rugby, we're not soccer, we're just a game where we see pure talent, we see pure fitness all the time. And I think if we keep, you know, yeah. playing with these rules, it's just going to become another commercialised game and that's not what footy is to the fans. Absolutely. Um, and I think... I think you're right because it just looks so strange when you're watching on TV. I haven't been to a game yet and seen it in real life. Uh, but mm. when you're watching it on TV, it just looks pretty strange uh, how they're just, they're, they're not able to move in a, in a, in a sport that demands um, high levels of fitness that the game has stopped that. It's just, it's quite, it's, it's, a, it's pretty funny how that's the case. And what I'd like mm. to see is I hope that it would, it'd be, it'd be a bit of a bombshell if they removed the rule midway through a season um, just because of stats and like the history of stats. And like, this is before this was during the stand manning the mark um, time. And then this is post standing on the mark. <laughs> I just think mm. what I'd like to see is a change right now. And I think just to give players standing on the mark a one media radius, um, obviously you can't yeah. go forward, but uh, like a semicircle behind them of one meter where they can move. What, what do you, I wouldn't mind that. What do you, what do you think? That's just, that's just popped to mind as you were talking about. I, I like that. Cause if you know what, I mean, I think we'd all agree we'd rather it go back to what it was, but if we have to keep this rule, hmm. you know, a one meter radius wouldn't hurt because I've, I feel like someone's going to sneeze and they're going to, it's going to cost them a 50. Someone's going to scratch their head and that's their arms moving. So yeah. if they, I think I would love to see it gone straight away, as you said, but if they are going to keep it, that wouldn't even be a horrible um, fix, I guess you could say. But I hate that we have to have this conversation about a stupid rule in place. But anyway. Yeah. It's, uh, it, uh, look, I, 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 um, I understand where you're coming from because they've, they keep changing the rules every season pretty much. And I, I just, it's just, oh, I, I, that's not sport. That's, you don't change the rules every season. And a lot of fans, and I'm, I th I'm sure you think the same, that, you know, just leave the game alone. A lot of people have that view. And, yeah, I, I'm for that one as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, your sports journalism and, you know, your up and coming still in, in your career. Uh and you mentioned before how you did some work at St Kilda. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that and also some of the other work you've been doing? Yes, thank you. Um, I have been very blessed over my journey. I'm only just turned 20, so I'm very blessed that I've been afforded so many opportunities to get kind of a head start in the industry, I think, as same as you really, Max. So, um, yes, I've actually just got my job at St Kilda back. Very lucky. I'm, wow, I'm well now, thank you, um, doing the VFL media. So that should be a really exciting job this season. I'll just be doing some boundary writing and doing the match reports every week. And they've actually very kindly asked me to, if I'd like to write a couple of feature articles every few weeks with a few of the AFL boys. So that's been awesome. a really really fantastic experience so far being in a club you know I've been there since I was in year 12 so I'm very very blessed to be able to see how a club operates and if that is something I do want to go into into the future because when I was little I think journalism back then 10 10 15 years ago was just 
oh, you write for the paper or you do TV or you're in a club. But these days it's now you have to have the ability to do all of those things at once, which I think I'm lucky through my university course that we are learning how to be a social media manager or be media for a club or be on TV or radio or do other things because I think that's the way of the future now. So I think with you as well, you know you're um, doing a lot of things that aren't just pure writing, which I, Mm. which I personally started as my thing, started writing with the footy almanac. I think you, you did too back in the day. Yeah. John Harms. Yes. Good old John Harms. Love John Harms. He's a great, great, great character. And it's been really, really helpful getting me started really in this industry because it is a tough industry to break into. Yeah. But yes, I'm also working at um, the women's game at the moment, which is under Inside Sport, who's um, the Herald Sun Sport magazine. So I write and I'm lucky enough to interview a multitude of different athletes. And that's been a really beneficial kind of outlet for me to learn about other sports I've done. I did I did tennis interview last night. I've done um, cricket, motor racing, you name it. Um, I'm lucky enough that I've been given opportunities to interview and write about different sports, which has been fantastic. And then I've done, I don't like, I don't like to talk about myself much. If you can't notice, I'm joking. Um, (laughs) No, I've been very lucky with everything I've done. I've done a bit of, um, VAFA, Victorian Amateur Football Association, writing and going back onto radio in a few weeks for them awesome. through the Sunday wrap-up show talking about amateur footy, which is another one of my passions in sport, which is really exciting. Yep. Um, yes, that's, I've done a fair bit of things, but yes. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's quite impressive. You're only um, 20, as you said, and to, to have done, you know, experienced different aspects of journalism is uh quite good is there a story or piece of work that's sort of been the most memorable or your favorite or most significant i've got a couple i'm just thinking they've come to me i got i put you on the spot (laughs) sorry no i always i have a couple that always come to me um i was published in the age when i was 16 which was a story about kidinia park which was something i was extremely proud of and that's probably one of my the moments I was like yep this is this is the path I'm supposed to be on kind of thing yeah um I've it's awesome uh, I'm I have interviewed Patrick Dangerfield at the 2016 um sorry 20 yeah 2017 sorry Kaji Graves Geelong best and fairest which was a pinch me moment I think that was that was awesome um and I was, I went to Bob, my first ever press conference that I went to, I was interning at 3AW radio and they're like, oh, we're going to go. It was, I think it was like my second day and I was there for a couple of weeks. They're like, we're going to this press conference at um, Whitten Oval. And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And it was Bob Murphy's retirement press conference. And that was like, he's absolutely big, like a very big inspiration in the football world for, for a lot of people. So that was another moment. I was just like, oh, this, yeah. I'm pretty lucky. This is, this is pretty cool. So yeah, they're definitely my standouts, but I'm blessed. I interview. It's not just about the big stars. I get to talk to yeah. people in the amateur football and cricket and people, you know, who've um, had multiple sclerosis who follow their passion and play sport. And I talk to everyday people who I can just, sometimes I sit back and I just go, yeah, I'm so blessed that I get to do this. And it's a really, really rewarding 
um, industry to be. And I think you could agree with that. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, um, that's, that's some great um, sort of stories there that, that um, you've been able to put together and be a part of. So that's quite, um, that's quite uh, awesome and, and well done on, on all that um, so far. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, that's, that's quite uh, amazing what you've done so far. Um, I'm just trying to um, get to mind what I wanted, uh, what I had in mind. Um, but that's okay, yeah. Anna. Um, thanks very much for um, joining us today. Uh, it's, it's been great to get your insights and, um, and everything, um, you know, on AFLW and also the AFL men's competition coming up and also to hear a little bit about your journey uh, so far in sports. So thanks for joining the Sports Hour and coming on today. Thanks, Max, and good luck for the rest of the season. I'll be listening. And we thank Anna Pavlou for coming on there and sharing her thoughts. Uh, it was great to get her on to chat a little bit about the AFLW and the upcoming men's AFL season. Uh, so we thank her for coming on once again and also a thank you to Charlie Gill for joining us. Now we're going to go to our next guest, who is the nutrition coach and personal trainer, Connor Kennedy. I hope you enjoy it. We're about to talk a little bit about nutrition right now, and we're very lucky that we've got Connor Kennedy, who is a nutrition coach and personal trainer, and he's on air right now here to talk to us a little bit about nutrition. So thanks for coming on, Connor. Welcome to the Sports Hour. Thanks very much, Max. It's great to be here once again. Lovely. And uh, I'll kick it off. And what are some common recommendations you would give uh, to people in regards to healthy eating? Oh, look, um, the perfect, the perfect diet does exist. Um, It actually does exist, but in terms of life, you know, we all have things on. Um, Not every day is the same. Some days you'll have, you know, big sports games or social events or, you know, and so you can't get your eating perfect. Now, <clears throat> there is a, a set of exact macronutrients and micronutrients that we should be aiming for every single day and numbers in the five food groups that we should be aiming for. Um, and so I'll try and direct my clients towards those things, um, depending on, on how far away they are from it at the moment. But the short answer is everyone's different. Um, and everyone has a different life and, and circumstances. And so there's no easy answer to that, Max. Yeah, it's, uh, that's, that's, that's true. And I guess that's um, part of the, uh, the nature of it. It's uh, everyone's a bit different. Um, so, you know, there's, there's never sort of one answer for everyone. Um, what, so what, what are some of the – can you talk us through what a balanced diet is and how important – um, you know, the different elements of it are. And can you tell us sort of what, how, how the intake should be broken up, um, you know, coming into our bodies? Yeah, sure. So a balanced diet, um, first of all, it's important to note that we have our macronutrients, which are proteins, fats, and carbs, um, which we should be getting enough of every day. And then we have our micronutrients, which are things like vitamins, minerals, But then we also have our five food groups, which are grains, um, meats and meat alternatives, like proteins, um, veggies, fruit, and dairy. They're our five food groups, and we want enough food from our five food groups every day. So we have three overarching things that we have to 
aim to achieve in our diet if we want the perfect diet every single day. Um, and we get those things from, from certain foods. So <clears throat> obviously, um, we need carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are the fuel for, for our sporting activities. Um, that's how you know, our body uses energy. We need those for sporting performance. That's very, very important. We need protein to recover from sporting performance. Um, and you know, not just sporting performance, but um, just to repair anything in the body, broken tissues. Um, and then we also need healthy fats, uh, which you know, people get confused about. They're found in, in things like nuts and um, avocados and good fish, yep. um, fish oils. Um, and so we need those three things in terms of macronutrients. In terms of micronutrients, um, which are our vitamins and minerals, they're mostly going to be found in veggies, okay? Now, for our five food groups, it's recommended that we have five or six serves of veggies every single day, like regardless of what type of person you are, man or woman, young or old, big or small, it's recommended you have five to six serves of veggies a day, which is quite a lot. And I think 95% of Australia isn't getting there. Um, wow. And so the reason we need so many is to meet all of those micronutrient requirements with the vitamins and minerals, because Fun. those things are the things that, that help our, our body function in terms of eyesight and, you know, um, repairing functions in the body, um, just yeah. doing day-to-day -day things that you'd have no idea about. Your quality of life goes up so much if you get enough veggies in. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Um, and yeah. And so, so we want to, we want to aim to, you know, meet all of those things, make sure we've, we've got enough now. Like I can't talk exact numbers, like I said, because it's different for everyone, but everyone needs to make sure that, you know, they've got carbs in their diet. They've got proteins, they've got fats, and then they've got veggies, fruits, um, meats or meat alternatives, um, dairy and, uh, gr and uh, grains. Yep. Grains. Yep. And then of yep. course, yeah, I, I recommend drinking a lot of water as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Now I wanted to ask you, cause there's that. And then people, you know, mm. a lot of people think about changing their eating habits, going vegan, um, and all, and all the different kinds of, you know, eating, strategies and habits you can have now when people are thinking about changing what, what advice would you give to them and even when people have changed and they're, they're they've got their habit down pat what what advice would you give to them um you know when 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 thinking about that and 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 when they're in a certain sort of phase of eating uh, yeah, look, so I see people who are at very different stages of their diet. You know, some people who have an absolutely horrible diet meet none of their macronutrient requirements, none of their micronutrient requirements, and none of their food group requirements every yeah. day. And that goes um, against I, uh, the balanced diet. That's why I ask. Yeah, and I'm interested. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the advice I'd give to anyone um, at whatever stage they're at with their diet is start small and take take small steps okay you can't try and just dramatically change your diet overnight um you have to allow yourself the small victories you have to say okay this week i'm going to focus on um eating less late night snacks okay so i'm not going to eat after i have dinner i'm not going to have that chocolate bar um for four of the seven nights of, of the week when i normally would 
um, and you do that, you, you lock it down after one week and that's a win. You put it in the bank and, and then you continue that on. And next week you set yourself another goal. I'm going to add three serves of veggies across my day, you know, one at lunch and two at dinner or, um, or I'm just going to eat a, eat a piece of fruit for morning tea um, instead of the biscuit that I'd normally eat. Um, so set very, very small goals that are in a positive direction tick those off every week, allow yeah. yourself to be proud of yourself. But then the other thing I would also say that goes with that is don't beat yourself up if you slip up. Because I see a lot of people who will, uh, you know, be, they'll, they'll not take the advice and they'll go a little bit fast. And then all of a sudden they'll have one day where, you know, they're tired or they had a big day at work. They get home, all they feel like is junk food. They overindulge and completely beat themselves up and they go back to their old bad dieting ways. Now, look, overindulging is fine. You know, it, it, it happens to the best of us, sure. But um, don't beat yourself up, you know. Get back on the path. You, you, you're not a failure if you if you mess up once yeah. um, with your diet, you know. You, you've just got to take the small victories and um, be kind to yourself is definitely the advice I'd give. Yeah, absolutely. And... The question I want to ask you is with people who choose to sort of have a low carb diet or, or, or low or low protein, or, you know, you don't really hear low protein quite often, but a lot of people try to be low carb now when they're, and they're trying to lose weight. Now, what are, what are your, like, what's your thoughts on that? Because I, I sort of feel like, especially if you're a sporting athlete, now you you want to have the carbs to to have the the fuel in order to to uh, perform the activity well, and if you don't have the carbs, then how are you going to perform well? So, what's your advice around that uh, in terms of people who are trying to lose weight? Um, you know, I, I sort of my opinion is and my view. Now I'm not an expert, but um, I, I sort of see that get your carbs in, and ra- rather than trying to not have as many carbs to lose weight do more exercise. So, so you're, you're sort of doing it that way rather than trying to starve yourself of carbs and, and sort of take that away. Um, obviously you don't want to have, you don't want to go overboard, but what, what are your, what's your advice there in terms of people trying to lose weight um, and, and not have too many carbs? Yeah, look, I, uh, I completely agree with you there, Max. Um, I am not a big fan of low carb diets at all. Um, you know, I think they mask the real problem. Um, and so, you know, if you're, especially if, if you're a sporting athlete, that's just never a good idea. That's just terrible. Um, that's just obvious. But yeah. if you're just, you know, an everyday person who just wants to lose weight, I can see what the appeal of low carb diets are to those people. But it's, it's like the easy option out. It's the lazy way of doing it. Because, you know, like you said, the more effective way is to still eat carbs and good carbs, but then use that to fuel their exercise. And, you know, and, and losing weight is, um, it's a balance between diet and exercise. They're both parts of the picture. Now, I'd say diet is actually a bigger part in losing weight. Um, but people who... who um, don't eat carbs, don't fully understand our body's requirements um, because mm. our body needs carbs to actually function, not just to perform athletically, but our brain needs the carbs to, yeah. to think day to day. Um, and so 
the other thing is those people are often people that will have lots and lots of unhealthy carbs, you know, like donuts and white bread and all and, and white pasta and all of that stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas it's, it's, there's a big difference between having that and having the brown versions of that stuff and healthy, yeah. productive carbs, you know, brown rice, brown pasta, um, you know, wholemeal, whole grain bread, that sort of thing. That's, That's what I have every single day. Great point. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that, that actually fuels your body better, but it will also help you lose weight if you switch from that other bad type of carbs to that type of carbs. So, you know, cutting carbs out of the, out of the picture completely is just a terrible idea. Um, and, and it's from people that don't understand um, how to go about the process of, of losing weight. They hear about these incredible results some people have had with these diets and sure, they can have great weight loss results, but it's not actually healthy because they're losing other things, other important tissues in their body in the process. They're losing muscle mass because they're not exercising enough. They're just losing all the weight because they cut out carbs in their diet. Their brain's not functioning as well. So sure, they can lose weight, but it's at a terrible cost. Absolutely. And I want to, like, that's obviously one issue I think that a lot of sporting athletes well, not a lot, but there there would be a number of sporty athletes with that issue and sort of falling into the trap of thinking that and sort of that becoming a bit of a detriment to themselves. Um, but what are some other common issues you see uh, in people and, and sort of their nutrition and eating habits? Uh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on a... And um, some... Uncommon ones, like you know the and like and ones like these. This, for example, where people think low carbs is good, but it's actually not. No, no, not at all. Um, look, I'll touch on a, a, a very um. To start with, I'll touch on a popular a diet, the yeah. the vegetarian, the vegan diet. Now, yeah. funnily enough, I don't actually have a problem with it. Um, I. I, since I've done the nutrition course, I learned that vegetarians and vegans can get all of the required micronutrients, macronutrients, and the five food groups that they need. They, they still can without meat um, yeah. and without, I mean, they can't get dairy, obviously, if they're vegan, um, you know, which, which I would advise, you know, not doing, but, um, but they can get all of, the, all of the vitamins and minerals that they need. Now, the problem I have with it is that most vegetarians and vegans don't. Um, and, you know, being on that sort of diet requires a lot more effort to make sure you're getting the required um, macronutrients, especially protein that you need, because a lot of them miss out on protein. They miss out on things like iron, um, which is obviously a micronutrient um, found in sort of meat sources. And that's why they have to um, take iron supplements. Now, if they tried hard enough with their diet, you know, they could get iron from other sources that weren't meat. Um, but you know, they're just lazy and they they don't work hard enough to get it from the whole food. Um, and so I always recommend getting, you know, vitamins and minerals you need from your foods and your diets rather than taking supplements. You don't need supplements if you've got a perfect diet, you know, um, in terms of vitamins and minerals at least. And so some of the other, to get a bit back on track, some of the other um, common issues I would see, um, look, people have all kinds of, all kinds of crazy diets, but the number one motivator and the number one thing behind all of them 
is that people are lazy. People don't want to do the work. You know, people don't want to commit to what it takes to losing weight or, or having a great sporting performance. You know, it's, it's not just your diet, it's your exercise as well. It's your sleep. It's, it's all of those aspects, you know, combined together into one. Um, and so all of these diets and these fads that these people go on, they all stem from the fact that they're looking for the easy option out. They hear about this thing. Wow. This is a great way to lose weight. Um, and like I explained earlier, yeah, it might be a good way to lose weight, but at what cost, you know, you're, you're yeah. losing brain function and happiness and you're losing muscle mass, which is a terrible idea. Um, and so yeah, that's, that's, that's the problem I have, Max. We will pause Connor Kennedy's interview just there. And we'll get back to it at the end of the show where he spoke a little bit about how he changed his own eating habits and uh, and started eating very healthy. So uh, stay tuned for that later on in the show. But now we're going to go to Patrick Morrow where we spoke a little bit about soccer, tennis and also a little bit about cricket. So I hope you enjoy that one. We have our next guest coming on to the sports hour, sports writer Patrick Morrow. How are you going today, Patrick? Very good, Max. Absolute pleasure to be on, mate. Once again, always. And thanks for coming on, Patrick. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of tennis today, a bit of soccer uh, in the Champions League, and also a bit that's been happening in the cricket world. Um, so we'll kick it off with uh, Roger Federer, the superstar tennis player. Uh, can you give us an update on him? Uh, mate, he's come back um, out of his uh, knee operation, uh, looking okay. Unfortunately, lost the second round to... Uh, Georgian player in Nikolai Vasisvili, uh, in the, lost in the third set, uh, backed it up in the first round with an impressive win over Dan Evans, Roger did, uh, but unfortunately could not win in the second round. Um, but still looking positive on his comeback after his knee injury and surgery he had on his knee and hip. Um, he'll probably uh, keep pushing through the tournaments and get back to that world number one ranking. That's his goal. And uh, at the moment, they all want to beat Novak, and he's the one who wants to do it. And it's great to see him return at 39 years old, Max. Uh, it's great to see him back in back in some form. Unfortunately, he couldn't get through the second round, but hopefully, the return will um, the return will come back smoothly in the next tournament, which I think they play in uh, Rottingham, or uh, they get back on the clay circuit soon. So they'll start they'll start preparing for that. So we'll be good to see him around. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned his age there, 39. Um, it's good to hear that he's come back from a knee surgery and, um, you know, as you said, he's moving around all right. He obviously got through one game and then ended up playing another one. Um, so that, that's great news there for the superstar, the legend, Roger. Um, and, yeah, he's uh, he's ranked fifth um, in the world uh, or, or, or sixth. Uh, it's got here on, on his, uh, just searching him up, He's got his current ranking at number five as of the 9th of November last year. Um, so he's still up there and um, it's good to hear that he's sort of recovered well from this injury and he's back to playing, which is the main thing. So uh, that's, uh, that's great to hear that news, Patrick. And um, we move on now to the soccer where um, the Champions League has been a bit happening with um, the round of 16, different results and still some games to go in that. Yeah, yeah. So some very interesting results. Um, the most surprising one would be FC Porto, uh, the side that uh, Jose Mourinho uh, team uh, managed back in the day. They've um, 
got to the next stage of the first time since I think Jose won it with them. Um, they defeated Juventus on away goals, even though Juventus won 3-2 in the second leg. They needed one more goal to do it, and unfortunately missed out on there. So Porto goes through. Uh, it's the first time I think Juventus will not be in the next stage of the Champions League since, I think, 2012. And it'll be the first time since Ronaldo will not be in the Champions League quarterfinals since 2006. So that's a long time ago. Um, also, Dortmund uh, got through Sevilla 2-2 in the second leg, but led the on aggregate score 5-4. Uh, Liverpool put their poor Premier League form away and uh, did it quite comfortably against RB Leipzig. They won 2-0, and the aggregate is 1-4-0, so they'll be in the next stage. Um, another bummer as well for those Barcelona fans. They drew with PSG. Uh, Kylian Mbappe scored a penalty in the 30th minute, and then uh, superstar Lionel Messi scored an absolute screamer of a goal to bring mm. him back to one all, but unfortunately could not find the next gear to try and give him a run on the leg. And, unfortunately, yeah. and unfortunately, they lost on that leg. So PSG won five two, and quite um, remarkable that game. Barcelona had twenty one shots to seven with ten yeah. shots on target, seventy three percent possession. Um, that's um, they're tough games when teams just sit back after. Uh, Mbappe scored the first goal in the 30th minute. Uh, so that was a tough game for Barcelona. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, also, um, also I'd say as well, that will be the first time we'll not see Messi or uh, Ronaldo since 2006. Uh, they've not made the next stage of the Champions League. So it's going to be a yeah. very odd Champions League tournament now. Um, also, to just give an update quickly um, for the... Real Madrid fans out there, they'll play Atalanta uh, 7 a.m. next Wednesday morning, St. Pat's Day. Uh, Manchester City will play Bush and Munchen Black Black. Um, Bayern play Lazio in the second leg as well. Uh, that's on the Thursday, 18th of March, 7 a.m. And the big one, which will be Chelsea and Atletico Madrid, uh, Thursday, the 18th of March. There's a bit of beef going there with Diego Simeone. Uh, men, they want to beat Chelsea. They're 1-0 down, so it'll be an interesting, interesting second leg there. Yeah, and, probably, and Chelsea won probably, the game before 1-0 against yeah, Athletic yeah, Madrid. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be an interesting one there. And um, probably probably the teams who are leading in this will probably do it. But the Atletico one it probably will go the extra time and maybe even penalty. So I'll hope for the best there. Who do you think will win the Champions League, Patrick? Oh, well, everyone says every year they go, oh, it's the big big three in Barcelona, Real Madrid or Paris Saint-Germain. And, the only one who's been able to do it in the past five to six years has been Real Madrid. Um, probably the, this time around, I would see... I Man see City. Man City, maybe. Yeah, um, chance, yeah. Or Bayern. Uh, everyone creeps up on Bayern, but I think Bayern's the one that, you know, you've got to look out for. They've got, still got a quality side, Robin Lewandowski. Um, it's a tough one to take, Max, because the Champions League throws up these great uh, stories of clubs running through and a Porto could easily, you know... Dual Malaga and just uh, if anyone remembers Malaga were they made the semi final of the Champions League and played an amazing tournament and nearly nearly won it. Um, so Porto could do the same thing. I'm I'm I just have this feeling though. I think it could be Paris Saint Germain's year. They've got out the big boys of Barcelona who they choked to last year, so they got that out of the way. The hoodoo's gone. So I have a very sneaky suspicion it's going to be the same final as last year. Paris Saint Germain versus Bayern, and probably Bayern will win the final in a tight one, maybe someone like uh, Lobodowski will score a winner on maybe the 92nd minute or something. So we'll see what happens. That's exciting. And um, 
I look forward to tuning into that. The Champion League always brings up a a big game. Um, you know, it's never short of a big game in the Champions League. So I'm looking forward to, you know, it's already down to the business end, um, you know, and it's getting down to some very tight clashes. So it's uh, it's exciting to watch and um, something definitely to keep an eye on. So thanks for that update, Patrick. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, uh, we'll go to the cricket now where there's been a little bit happening in terms of dismissals. Um, you don't often see obstruction in the field giving being given by umpires, but uh, it was in a game between Sri Lanka and the West Indies. Um, can you tell us your take on it and uh, explain a little bit what happened and uh, how you saw it? Well, uh, the listeners will be going, what, how, how do you go out obstruction of the field? And the way you can only do that is if you manipulate, uh, you stop the fielders from fielding the ball of some sort or stop a catch or a run-out opportunity. And what happened was uh, the Sri Lankan batsman um, was batting and he's blocked the ball down. And, and as we know, if you're a cricket person, you know that if the ball's rolling towards the stumps, you kick it away because uh, you're allowed to do that to protect your, protect your wickets. Um and it's quite odd. He's blocked it down, tried to go for a quick single, then running around running around circles. It's really odd. You have to watch the video to actually understand what happened. And in the process of that, he's been kicking the ball. Uh, is basically literally kicking the ball. It's really weird. And the bowlers are actually trying to go for the run out. So um, you honestly, you're honestly in back. So you're probably going to have to show up the vision um, of it, of it uh, on the, on the, uh, on the, on the preview for the radio show, because I think people won't, people won't understand what I'm actually saying because it's very weird. Yeah. Um, and then the batsman, the players appealed for obstruction. And to my eye, it looks an odd one because I think the batsman probably couldn't do a lot in the process. So running backwards and forwards in that motion, uh, it's a weird one. And then would the bowler get the ball and do the run out? It was at the end of the pitch of the batting end. So the bowler has to run all the way to the bowl at that end of the pitch to get it. So, you know, you know it's a tough yeah. one. And the umpire gave it out for obstruction. Um, you probably, if you if you pro- probably need to search it up on YouTube and actually just watch it and well, see what happened and go from there, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm watching it right now. And from the footage, I can't tell whether the, the Sri Lankan batsman has seen the ball. So he's going back into his crease and the ball's behind him and he's walking backwards. And from the footage, I can't tell if he's, he can see the ball. Um, and he's the only one that knows whether he was able to, whether he saw the ball and then sort of stepped on it, which in that case, that would be obstructing the field. But my gut feel is that he's stepping backwards and he's realised he, he he's stepping backwards and accidentally he's stepped on top of the ball and he's, because he's done that, well, he hasn't really stepped on it, but he's, he's knocked the ball as he was going yeah. backwards to get back into his crease. And that's yeah. the ball and then stopped Kieran Pollard from picking it up and being able to throw it at the stumps for a run out. My gut feel though is I don't think the Sri Lankan batsman has seen the ball. I think he's accidentally sort of kicked it which yeah it's, if it's, it's an accident it's, i don't know if oh, it's actually obstructing the field yeah yeah i know and it's it's not it doesn't look like he was deliberately doing it yeah. as well at the same time um 
you know, the only real obstruction of field I've heard is the one they had in the Big Bash a few years back. And I think Alex Ross was given obstruction of field. And that was a bit more easier. I think it was with a run-out decision. I think they looked like he was guarding stumps for the run-out. Yeah. Um, the old-fashioned take-the-body-blow type of sort of thing. So this one was a bit more weird and awkward. And the West Indies, they always find the seem to have unusual things happen over there. They've had some dodgy run-out decisions not being given. And uh, this one just adds to the more, pe- more peculiar decisions in cricket um so it's a weird one to have and i think uh, as an umpire as someone who umpires cricket i'll probably uh, my un- my understanding of the law would probably say it'd be given not out uh, just to the due to the fact of looking from it the batsman i don't think knew where the ball was so it's a, it's a weird one but um the more odd one was as well max as you and i were discussing off air was the celebrations uh for the wicket um i don't know how important they look at the scores and it wasn't a very important wicket so uh, it's a very odd odd one to get given out on. Well, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, the decision was given and uh, Sri Lankans can, uh, they sort of celebrated. Uh, sorry, the the West Indies, they, they celebrated, but they uh, they celebrated when it was out, which is kind of fair enough. Well, in the context of the game, um, Sri Lanka were one for 112. So it was yeah, a yeah. big wicket and the guy that um, was dismissed uh, was on 55. Um, so um, that's Danushka uh, from Sri Lanka. He was dismissed on 55, um, which is a pretty good score. And that, that brought in two new batters. So it sort of was a little bit of a big wicket in terms of the game. So they, the West Indies, they celebrated after they um, got the decision from the third umpire. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, it was a funny one and, and it definitely got a bit of airtime that dismissal and, Everyone's got their views, but at the end of the day, it's so close that yeah, the only yeah. person that knows whether it's out, I believe, is um, the, the the Sri Lankan batter because mm-hmm, it's a, I don't know if he could if he could see the ball behind him as he and then and then went on to knock it or if he couldn't see the ball and then he accidentally yeah, yeah, knocked it. Yeah, so that's I'm just. <laughs> Yes, and, and I'll just say this now, Max. I'm just reading the law uh, in Laws of Cricket. So it's Law 37, obstructing the field. Uh, 37.1, uh, out, obstructing the field. Uh, field. Uh, either a batsman is out, obstructing the field, if, except in the circumstances of Law 37.2, while the ball is in play. Now, the ball was in play, right? So he slash she willfully attempts to obstruct or obstruct the fielding side by word or action. Um, yeah. So... Very odd one. Did did the batsman did the batsman deliberately do it? You know, it's yeah. it's a weird one. Yeah. Well, that's the word there. Willfully. Did he willfully? Did he did he do it sort of on purpose, or was it an accident? And that's the question. Yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a debate for a while, I think, Max. And we'd love to. I love to hear what you know. Someone, uh, one of the one of the umpires uh, would say, a district umpire or, or an, a, a, the umpire was showing the game. Uh, Paul Wilson, I'd love to ask him, you know, what was your process in doing that? Because I think uh, it's a very gutsy call to give that out. So, um, but fair credit to it. They thought it was out. They thought it was out. So you can't, you can't complain from there. You know, everyone's going to have different opinions. And I think, you know, that's a good thing in the game of cricket as well. It's great. We've got that uh, very interesting little rules that we don't see a lot uh, do come into play. Yeah. Um, And you talk about the rules there and, um, it's interesting anyway, um, you know, people have got their opinions about this. Um, and even if you ask an umpire and then you go on to ask another umpire, you, you still might get two different opinions 
um, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is funny. Um, but speaking of the rules and, um, you know, you see different sports and the rules. Now, cricket doesn't really change their rules, but you, we've seen it recently in T20 cricket. Uh, the Big Bash, they brought in the the power surge, for example, the X-Factor player. England, they've got their own 100 competition, which is sort of their version of T20 cricket. What are your thoughts on, you know, these different rules and countries bringing in these different, you know, rules? Um AFL, for example, has got, you know, they, they change the rules quite often, typically, over the last decade. Um, but what, what's your view on cricket doing it and where do you see that? Uh, I see it's more to do with the commercial aspect of it. The, 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 the bash boost point, all those type of things in the big bash, especially, is just to build, to drum up the final series, to give people a half interest in oh, they've got to chase down, you know, 60 off, you know, 60 balls to, you know, get the extra point. So it gives, it gives some interest to that. If you ask the players what they want to do, they want probably want to win the game, not win the bonus point. Um, but it's just all part and parcel of the way we live. We want to have – we want to change it every year. We want to have something different and new and fresh. So it gives more interest to the game. Uh, the 100, that's an interesting concept. Um, that format of cricket will be – I think this year they're going to play it. Um, so that'd be great and – Hopefully, they can get crowds uh, with, the, with the whole post-COVID situation. So, that'll be great to see. But that will be a very interesting one in terms of how there'll be rules conducted. The rules are actually quite uh, complex. So, um, uh, in terms of how the bowler can bowl, he can only bowl this so many balls and the batsman can do this or whatever. So, it's an interesting concept there. But I think the overall, the overall argument of changing laws of cricket I think needs to be discussed in a healthy, uh, healthy discussion, and also one of um, actually, actually, you know, discussing what needs to be changed or what needs to be properly changed, not just because of commercial use. And I think maybe other sports have kind of just changed the rules to suit uh, the money monetary uh, idea of it, um, and probably you know, the AFL for changing the marking rule. I think they've just done it because oh, we want to see the game free flowing. Well, you know, th- we've always been taught, man, the marky jump up and down and all that. So, you know, in cricket, in cricketing terms, it's a bit like changing the way you bat. You have to hit the, you have to hit the ball to, you know, still be, still be yeah. batting. If you know, if they did that, that'd be an outrage in cricket. You know, yeah. so it's, it's a very uh, interesting way of thinking. I think these new different laws and different, different formats, they'll make the game different and. Probably in 10 or 15 years' time, they'll come the norm uh, in any real cricketing tournament. Maybe just test cricket will just remain that traditional type of thing and everything else will kind of flow to another type of cricket. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see the way it all plays out. And mm. when when they make changes and it's good, like I thought the power surge was a pretty good change and I think it brought – it was exciting. I, I personally liked it. But it's when they make changes and it doesn't work where – um, you're like, oh, come on, don't do it. But I think that's just the nature of it. And, you know, we can't just be happy when something good happens in a rule change. And then when something goes wrong, everyone fires up because it's not going to be good all the time. Um, you got to sort of, you got to sacrifice a bit in order to get a little bit. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. I don't mind them experimenting a bit, but at the same time, I want a bit of consistency, but it's, it's, the, it's the period, it's the time period we're in. And as you said, um, you know, it, it, sometimes the commercial aspect of sport is so important because that's what keeps it 
going. Um, yeah, 100%. you know, financially. So you gotta, you gotta sacrifice a bit in order to take steps forward. Um, yeah. yeah, that's, that's probably what it comes down ultimately. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. Um, but, uh, Patrick, uh, thanks very much for your thoughts today as always. And, uh, really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolute pleasure, Max. Uh, Great to be on again, and uh, we'll talk soon. And we thank Patrick Morrow for coming on, as always, to share his thoughts. Uh, Interesting conversation today around the different sports and uh, what's happening in the sporting world. So we thank him for coming on. Now we're going to go back to Connor Kennedy's interview, uh, where we spoke a little bit about nutrition. And what's coming up next is quite interesting, where he spoke about how he changed his eating habits and became a health king, really, in the world of eating. So... Tune into that. Uh, it's quite interesting, and I hope you enjoy it. And Connor, you've you've been through it. You've managed to. Um, I remember you used to eat donuts every day. <laughs> Only joking. Yeah. Look, I, no, look, I, <laughs> I, when I was uh, probably four years ago, Max. Um, when I was a kid, I I, I definitely did. I was a sweet tooth. Um, yeah. And actually, uh, I wasn't sure if you were going to ask me about myself, but. For Look, about two and a half years yeah. now, I haven't been eating junk food at all. Um, yeah. And for, for about a year now, um, it's pretty crazy, but my diet is very regimented. I, I wouldn't recommend doing what I do. Like, you have to be kind of crazy. But yeah. um, I have the same five meals every single day. My meals are planned out. I do, I do my cooking kind of once a week. They're all easy to prepare. I freeze or put them in the fridge. And... Um, I've planned out all of the macronutrients, micronutrients and food groups that I need every single day. Um, If my goals change a little bit, like I want to put on a bit of muscle or I want to lose a bit of fat, then I'll alter how many carbs I'm eating. Now, I won't cut out carbs like I never cut out carbs, but I'll just add a little bit more rice to a meal or take a little bit more rice from a meal. Um, So those are the sort of variables I play with. So that's just a little bit about me. yeah. I actually did make that decision overnight two and a half years ago to, to eat healthy. I haven't touched junk food since. Um, I don't know how I do it, to be honest. Yeah. But I just don't get it. So and that's I something I'll, Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, how easy has it been for you to, to change and, and make that change? Because you mentioned before people are lazy out there to do it. But how easy did you find it making the change and, and sticking with it? and keeping it going for as long as you have, it's been two years. How easy was it? Oh yeah. It's been, uh, it's been almost three years. Look, to be honest, it was way easier than most people, you know, who go on a diet for a week was, you know, because for me, yeah. So for me, yeah. Sorry, Max. Can you tell us, um, so you say it's easy. Can you tell us what those changes were? And like, just to explain to us in real how, what those changes were, those like those little changes or big changes, what were they? And like, cause it was that easy as you, you said it was easy. So what were those, what can you tell us the, the degree of, of change you had to make in order to, to, yeah, to look, change? Yeah. Look, I'll answer, I'll answer two questions there. The first is that, um, it was easy for me, but I wouldn't say what I did would be easy for everyone else. Now, the reason it was easy for me, because I had a big degree of change, which I'll tell you about in a sec. And the reason it was easy for me is because I thought about the person I wanted to be 
And I thought, and I suddenly realized that that's not what I wanted to do with my life. I wasn't going to accept that sort of standard for myself and for my life. So I made the decision then and there that I was done. I was done with eating all the, all the junk food. I was now going to become the best version of myself and allow my body the chance to become the best version. So I made that decision black and white and I've stuck to it ever since. And so because I've had such a, a driving force behind it, that's why it's been easier for me. But the changes in terms of the degree of changes I made uh, two and a half years ago, I went from eating a lot of junk food, um, you know, a lot. I'd have quite a bit every day. Um, I'd, I had a pretty terrible diet. You know, I didn't hit any of my five food group requirements or macronutrients requirements out of that, outside of that. So I went from that to completely dropping all junk food um, straight away. And I ate the best way I knew how at that stage of my life. But it wasn't until last year, um, almost a year ago, when I, when I did the nutrition course, um, that I then was educated as to what the perfect diet would look like and what my requirements are for the macronutrients and micronutrients and five food groups. Um, and so since then, <clears throat> I went from eating the best way I knew how. I mean, I had a lot of mistakes in my diet still. I thought I, I was still disciplined. I didn't eat junk food, but I ate way too much meat. I didn't eat enough veggies um, and, you know, a couple of other little things. Um, and so when I realized what the perfect diet would be, bang, I changed it straight away. I've been on it ever since. Um, I never look back. I never get tempted by anything. I don't have any junk food around, you know, people offer yeah. it to me all the time and I just say no. And they, people that know me just know I don't do that. You know, I hold higher standards for myself. Um, and so, you know, I, it's just, it's just who I am, Max. It's, it's funny, you know, it's just, yep. it's just not the, not the thing I do. It's the standards you set for yourself. Absolutely. And you're spot on. It's about who you are and, and what you believe in. And there's a book that I read that backs that all the way um, that it's about your identity rather than um, what your motivation might be. It's about who you are and what, and what you believe in. And there's a beautiful paragraph that I just want to quickly read out of uh, James clear. His book called atomic habits. And it goes like this. True behavior change is identity change. You might start a habit because of motivation, but the only reason you'll stick with one is that it becomes part of your identity. Anyone can, can convince themselves to visit the gym or eat healthy once or twice. But if you don't shift the belief behind the behavior, then it is hard to stick with the long-term changes. Improvements are only temporary until they become part of who you are. So, you know, that just proves that's, that's bang on bang on max and um to go with that you know like i think a really positive way of thinking about making those you know healthy changes in someone's life for example looking at how you go to the gym people in a bad frame of mind that won't stick to it forever they'll tell themselves i've got to work out so i can look good um but people in a good frame of mind like you know like myself i'm not you know i'm not trying to Brag or anything, but that this yeah. is just how I think. Um, you know, I go to the gym because that's who I am. It's not I go to look good. It's not you know. It's not, but it's who I am. It's the standard I set for myself. It's yep. you know, um, yep. it's just what I do. It's just me. Um, and and it's the same with my eating. It's the same with my sleep. It's the same with 
you know, cold showers, with my breathing, with meditation, yoga. Um, it's just, it's just who I am. And so if you try to change your habits by saying, I have to do this for a certain goal outside of myself, that's a bad road. That's, you know, a setup for failure. But if you try to change your habits with that intrinsic force, you know, mm. telling yourself, this is who I am. Now I, I, I set cool. higher standards for myself and this is my identity. That's some powerful stuff there, Max. Mm. And, and that's how you really create change. Absolutely. And um, that's a terrific message. And uh, Connor, uh, it's been, it's been way longer than what I, uh, what I thought it would be. Um, but because it's been so good, it's been worth it. So uh, thanks very much for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts once again on the Sports Hour. Oh, look, thank you so much for having me, Max. I'm sorry if I ramble on. I just, uh, I'm passionate about this sort of stuff and, and helping people become the best version of themselves. So it's a pleasure to be here. And we thank Connor Kennedy for coming on to share his interesting thoughts there. It was great to get him on uh, to share his thoughts on nutrition, uh, a field that he's got great knowledge in. So we really appreciate that. And as well as that, we thank all our other guests who came on today to share their thoughts and uh, and get an insight into uh, the different sports and everything that's going on right now in the world of sport. I hope you enjoyed the show. As always, feel free to jump on our Twitter page at Sports RFM. Give it a follow, give it a like, and uh, stay tuned on that account to keep up with everything. Also, feel free to like the Brimbank Neighbourhood House page, which is on Facebook, to get uh, the live show there, and also you can tune into the other shows on Brimbank Live via that page. And also, uh, most importantly, jump on the Live FM uh, Making Media page, which is on Facebook, and you can also find the Making Media page on Twitter, run by Ralph Barber. He does a great job and uh, really helps put together all these shows on Brimbank Live. So I hope you enjoyed the show today, and thanks for tuning in to the Sports Hour on Brimbank Live on Live FM. With thanks to the city of Brimbank across our neighbourhood and the world, the Sports Hour with Max Hadzoglu on Brimbank Live on Live FM. Mm-hmm.